You're listening to episode 168 of the FitzPro podcast. And if you happen to hear some white noise in the background, I definitely have a space heater on in my office because my husband, Nathaniel, keeps the house at a frigid, frigid temperature, which I actually love at nighttime. Um, Maybe TMI, we keep our house at like 63 when we sleep and I am recording this very early in the morning. So it is very cold in my home and I just need to be having my heater on. So maybe you can hear it, maybe you can't, but either way, wanted to bring attention to it and apologize if that is somewhat annoying to you. Today's episode is all about my favorite lifting cues. They are very broad. You've probably heard some of these, maybe you haven't, um, but these are kind of my tricks, hacks, cues for what I believe leads to better gains over time. That is both better gains in like the actual quality of a movement pattern, as well as the muscle that you can put on, assuming that you are in maintenance or a caloric surplus of eating enough protein, etc., to put on muscle mass. So hopefully that applies to you. Without further ado, let's dive in. The FitzPro Podcast is your no BS approach to seeking out truth in the world that is online health and fitness. You'll see through the lens of the trainer, the trainee, and the entrepreneur. I'm your host, Annie Miller, certified strength and conditioning specialist, entrepreneur, lover of sleep, lattes, and dinosaurs, aka not your average FitzPro. And my aim is to help you grow your mind, body, and business through knowledge and authenticity so that you too can become a FitzPro. If you are a trainee, this will not necessarily apply to you, but if you are a trainer or a coach in the online space and you have not taken my free workshop, make sure you check it out. It's on demand. It's called Your Biz Your Way, Three Steps to Build a Profitable Online Health and Fitness Business. The link is always in the show notes, but you can also go to anniemiller.co backslash workshop dash register. It's free. Again, you can take it at any time. And that is the best way to join my FitzPro Foundations course. If you are at all interested in that, you want to join through the the workshop. If you are a trainee, like I mentioned earlier, then go to anniemiller.co slash resources. And there are some freebies over there for you as well. Trainers, coaches, entrepreneurs, that's where you can find things that are also helpful to you in addition to the workshop. I would also like to thank Legion Athletics. They are the sponsor of this podcast. They're the number one brand of all natural sports supplements in the world. I have loved using them throughout pregnancy. Honestly, their whey protein has like saved my life. In my first trimester, I was not able to eat protein. Um, I could, I say not able to eat protein, meat and eggs in my normal intake of protein was highly unappealing to me during the first trimester. I essentially sustained sustained myself on Sour Patch Kids, bagels, bean and cheese burritos, really just a really wholesome diet. And if I could, I would drink the whey protein with just water or milk in order to get some more protein down. And then I have taken it like every day since. And then I have taken it every day since starting my second trimester, essentially through my third trimester. They have 100 percent formula transparency. That is why I believe they can actually claim that they are scientifically backed for their ingredients and their dosages. So you can find all of that literature on their website under each product. They're also 100% naturally sweetened and flavored. So no extra crap. 
it's very straightforward to the customer. It's transparent to the customer. You know that I love that from a business standpoint. So if you're looking to add supplements, creatine, protein, fish oil, anything like that into your dietary intake, check out Legion. They have a 100% money back guarantee. Go to buylegion.com, B-U-Y legion.com and use code Annie at checkout to save 20% off your first order. If you already love Legion, but you would still like to support me, then you will get double Legion reward points for using that code Annie at checkout. It's very important for this episode that we make clear that there is no one size fits all approach for coaching cues. Something that will work for you might not work for me, but the goal is always better neuromuscular control, more muscle fiber recruitment, and ideally better movement patterns. That's why we give cues is so that someone can better perform a movement pattern and get again, better muscle recruitment, more muscle fibers involved. That's what today's episode is all about. After coaching for a decade in person and online combined, I have used and heard my fair share of cues and tricks. I might share like 10 to 15 today. Maybe I'll only share seven. I don't know. Um, I will keep them very broad stroke because you could have, you know, 20 cues just for one movement for your core. So that level of specificity is not the goal of today's episode. The goal of today's episode is very broad stroke cues that are going to work for a lot of different movements and give you the most bang for your buck within your coaching and hopefully give your client the best cue that is going to work for them and make the most sense. If you happen to be a trainee, meaning you you know follow a program and train yourself um, or work out by yourself, you're a gym rat, however you wanna identify yourself, this episode is also going to be very helpful for you to apply these immediately to your training. So the first one, we're gonna dive right in, is big back or tight lats. You can even say big back tight lats, however you want to use these. This applies to almost everything or certainly a lot of the larger compound movements. I could see this working for squats, deadlifts, even the start of an overhead press, and certainly for bench press. It also has carryover into most hinging patterns or barbell squatting variations. Big back and tight lats don't necessarily always feel the same. Like if you were to just tell someone big back, make your back big, or just tell someone tight lats, we don't always get the same result. So we need to find what works for someone, which is why using both of them and seeing what works is what I want you to do. I did put them together here because I find that I get the same results with clients when I use either of these cues. Your lat is one of the largest muscles in the body, and it is the definite largest muscle in your upper back or your upper body. So Oftentimes when you say big back, people will automatically engage their lats to some extent. Or when you say engage your lats and they are actually aware of you know what that is, it will make their back look larger. Think of a lat spread if you're familiar with bodybuilding. Both of those are the goal. We want the lats engaged and we want a big back. Your lats attach from the top of your upper arm bone, your humerus, to part of your scapula, to your mid-spine, all the way down to your hip bones. I mean, it connects to fascia and then to your hip bones. So you can see why we would want to engage the lats as they really do lock everything in all the way up from your shoulder girdle to your hips. And 
we want that for most compound movements. I find that big back using that particular cue works best for back squats when a client seems to just be kind of resting the bar on their back and we know that back squats are a full body movement, we should have full body tension, you know, without actually engaging their upper back muscles um, or any upper body muscles, tight lats can really engage not only the lats, but kind of everything in that upper back when we say big back, especially for squats. The next cue can have a very similar effect, and that is break the bar. Especially for me personally, this cue like changed my life in college, um, especially for bench, RDL, and deadlifts, thinking about actually taking my pinkies and crushing the bar, so breaking it across my legs or in bench press, breaking the bar, um, got me to really engage my lats and lock in my shoulders. This has always really worked for me personally. Like I said, I just, the whole thinking of, you know, getting my pinkies driving backwards and bending the bar, that typically gets everything engaged that I need to be engaged. With bench press, I really feel like it locks in my shoulders and lats. If you've ever heard the cue, pack your shoulder, Breaking the bar and packing your shoulder or screwing in, which we will also talk about that cue, are going to help with this. And with deadlift, it keeps the bar close to your body. I had another um, coach one time say, you know, paint the paint your legs with the bar. Um, and that to me, like you keep the bar close, but it doesn't actually cue, in my opinion, where we want to create tension. For some reason for me, breaking the bar gets me the tension where I need it. And this makes no sense for some people, but I think that it's worth a try. And if somebody knows how to like break a stick across their thigh, then they will really understand this cue. The next cue is elbows forward. Same effect as break the bar. When I say elbows forward, I'm talking about the pit of the elbow. And this is very, very specific to the deadlift. If a client is having a hard time keeping the bar close to them and maybe break the bar isn't working or big back or tight lats isn't working and you really need them to lock in their upper back, telling them to turn their elbows forward or the pit of their elbows forward can be very effective because that is, in a sense, engaging those lats as well as teres minor and infraspinatus, those are all really working in to pack that shoulder and lock in the upper back, which we need for the deadlift. So try it on yourself or telling a client to show their elbow pits to the front and just see what happens with their upper body. Just even in the setup, they don't even have to perform a deadlift or you don't even have to perform a deadlift, but just try the cue on yourself and see what happens. The next cue, which I mentioned just shortly um, a bit ago, is screw in. This applies both to the feet as well as the shoulder and hands or your grip. So we've got an upper body and a lower body version. Applying this to the feet in the glutes is screwing in your feet, especially with soft knees, causes external rotation at the femur, which is your upper thigh bone, via the glutes. So your glutes are working to rotate that femur to the outside. Um, really effective, again, if we have soft knees. In that, then at the feet, causes your feet to kind of screw in if you have spread your toes and pinned your big toe to the ground. That naturally creates a lot of tension and torque in the lower body. Now, the foot creates tension itself as well, and that ideally means a solid foundation for whatever lift you are performing. Think of opening the toes, pressing the toes, the ball of the foot, and the outside of the foot if it touches the ground, 
um, and the heel into the ground, then pulling the front of the foot and the back of the foot together, but not scrunching the toes. These are very different things. And it's an important differentiation to make because a lot of people, when we say grip the floor with their feet, they just scrunch their foot up. And that's not necessarily what we want when we say grip the floor. You're not curling your foot. You're simply activating, if you want to use that word, I know we hate that um, for for lack of a better word, Um, you're activating that arch or the muscles that run along the arch of your foot and screwing your big toe down to the ground. So when we say screw in for the lower body, that's what I'm referring to. The foot is gripping the floor and then we're using the glutes to really screw that foot into the ground so that it's not going to move. Obviously, we want this for deadlifts, things like squats, even overhead press. A mistake that a lot of people make in overhead press is having non-active lower bodies. As for the hands, I will use a push-up as an example. The push-up is kind of the squat of the upper body, if you will. This is actually similar to the break the bar analogy when we look at the upper body. So you want your thumb whole palm, first knuckle, and all fingertips to be planted on the floor, just like your toes. Then think about how externally rotating the arm, again, with the elbow pits to the front idea, but not that aggressive this time, this screwing in engages the lats and packs the shoulder, which remember packs the shoulder is basically another sister of tight lats, break the bar, screw in. We're all going for that same kind of external rotation and um, engagement of those lats and upper back muscles to set the scapula and really create stability in the upper back. So screw in gives you that, really, really gives you that idea of rotation happening, which is why we would use that. Somebody struggling with that, tell them to screw in, see if that happens, explain it to them what you mean by that. The next one is scapular rotation. This is not really a cue, but it's something I discuss a lot with clients because the shoulder is one of the most naturally unstable joints. It's not a it's not a ball and socket joint right? It doesn't fit together like your hip does. It's really just three bones that kind of come together and muscles and tendons hold it together. So if you picture the bottom or outer edge of the scapula swinging toward and away from the spine, um, like you would, you know, a pendulum, if you will, that is the rotation we're talking about. I don't have a cue for this, like I said, but I think about it and describe it to my clients really often, mostly during pull-ups or overhead movements where we need the scapula to rotate in this manner, wherein the cues that we've discussed so far, we're really locking in that scapula. We also need it to be mobile. And so that's where this scapular rotation or discussion of scapular rotation comes in. We want that scapula to be able to move, to depress, to elevate, to protract, to retract, to swing side to side, that lateral rotation. Lots of tendons pass through the shoulder joint. The scapulas being able to rotate is one of, and just really move in general, glide through all ranges of motion, is one of the things that creates space for those tendons that pass through the shoulder joint to not get compressed and impinged. And impinged just means closing space. Um, so don't don't think that that means pain automatically or inherently. Impinged just means to, to minimize a space. So do a Google, look up all scapular movements, 
and think about or continue looking up what the scapula should be doing during overhead pulling, vertical pulling, vertical pressing, um, and attempt to picture that when going through these motions. And I encourage you to then pass that along to your clients if you are a trainer or if you are a trainee, obviously you're doing like a self-study with this information. The next one is scaps in your back pockets. I absolutely adore this one. This worked a lot for me personally. It works for my clients. Many, many clients are very unaware of their scapulas. And especially in things like pull-ups, they really have trouble with initiating that first pull, with really setting those scapulas down into their back pockets. This would be depressing the scapulas. This can apply to so many movements from, like I said, initiating the pull-up or a deadlift, similar idea or cue to create space between the ears and the shoulders, equating to that scapular depression or shoulders down. Um, Big chest can also have the same outcome depending on the client. Now, big chest is more retraction oftentimes, but again, depending on the client, you might also get that depression that you're looking for. And big chest can sometimes lead to a rib flare. uh, So just be careful with how we use these different cues and again what's actually working for the client. The next one is to sit between your feet. This is specific to squats. Often we say hips back but hips down and back is more accurate. This doesn't mean to tuck your tail right to lose tension to enter spinal flexion. Um, I tend to use this with with clients who are hinge dominant or have a hingy squat. Of course if a client has super super long femurs their knees are going to need to come forward more, demanding more ankle dorsiflexion. If they lack that, their hips may go back more than you know a normal or perfect squat, and that's okay. This is going to depend on limb lengths, and that's not a bad thing. Um, don't get married to you know one cue or idea of movement for all clients. I, I will talk about this in future episodes. I've talked about it in past episodes, being a movement elitist. We want to avoid that. Um, but if you find a, that a client is hinging a lot or their butt is going back really far and they have kind of a vertical shin, it depends on if they can get into a more a position with more ankle dorsiflexion. We would want that. You can also play with the width of their stance to sit down between their feet more than sticking their butt back. The next one I mentioned a little bit earlier, which is just big toe down or whole foot. We discussed this, like I said, in in the screw in cue, but that big toe is the body's balance point and we want people to understand how to pin that down. This is gonna be hard to see uh, and it's also going to depend on someone's footwear. So if someone can lift barefoot safely or if they can lift in a shoe where you can see if their big toe is down, that's going to be helpful. The next one is wide foot. This one is personal to me because I supinate like a mother fricker and I tend to curl my toes under because of this. So they almost like overlap one another. Now, part of that is the anatomical makeup of my foot and being born with club feet and then being casted as a baby. Part of that is just lack of practice with toe and foot mobility that I could gain, but I'm likely never going to have toes that are as spread out as someone else. So there's a bit of anatomy going on there. um, But generally speaking, we do want people to practice having a wide foot uh, and gaining that foot mobility if they lack it. The next one is press the floor away. I was told to spread the floor by a college weightlifting coach for years before I heard press the floor away. If the coach would have just said press the floor away, 
I would have fully understood. Spread the floor never made sense to me. It never clicked. I didn't get it. Um, it clicks for other people, which is fine. That's why I say like press the floor away or spread the floor. Use both. See what sticks with a client. See what sticks with yourself. Um, spread the floor is not one of my personal favorite cues, but again, it never clicked with me. So to each their own. A cousin of this could be quad drive or stay in the quads. You could also, depending on why you're telling someone to do this, say knees out. We want to be careful with that. We don't want somebody to really, really, really be cranking their knees out if that's not necessary. But if someone um, is having trouble keeping their knees out or engaging those glutes, we can say knees out. If someone is having trouble staying in their quads, we can say quad drive. Um, that's often used in squats out of the hole or in the first pull of the deadlift. If someone's uh, hips are shooting back or up beforehand, we can say stay in the quads, quad drive to get them to really press the floor away. So that is why I say they are cousins. Small things like ulnar deviation in cable tricep pushdowns or the opposite of that in a bicep curl can be helpful, but generally all of these that I mentioned improve or look to improve both movement pattern and mind-muscle connection or your neuromuscular control, which is what we want in weightlifting, again, for, for, for good movement technique as well as good fiber recruitment, or, or that's the hope. Anyway, and like I said, ideally that's a twofold by improving mindfulness, we are also improving the movement pattern. On that note, even more generally speaking, it might help to think about and visualize a muscle lengthening in that eccentric phase and visualize that muscle actually contracting in the shortening phase and that concentric phase. I probably do this most often with more isolation-based work, like bicep work, hamstring work, quad extensions. Certainly, I would say more isolated movements. If you did love this episode, if you find value here, please do head over to iTunes, leave the show five stars, give a written, written review, excuse me. Um, it's much appreciated. Also, I will be opening pure programming to the waitlist on September 21st if you are listening to this in real time, so make sure to get there. We cover all of this and more in our exercise matrix with over 300 plus, 350 plus exercises. Um, you will also get the muscle matrix, which breaks down muscles, you know, their origins, insertions, where they are in the body, what directions the fibers run in, and you know what that means for exercise. So if you are interested in that, if you're a coach, if you need continuing education, it is eligible through four different organizations. So be sure to get on the wait list. I will put that in the show notes. If you want my normal email list, which is Annie's Weekly Wisdom or Daily Dose, go to anniemiller.co slash news. Until next time, I am Annie Miller, and thank you so much for tuning into the Fitz Pro Podcast. Podcast.